Okay, let's go over this again. You have scheduled out all of our episodes for the next couple of years. Right. And allowing for the occasional interview with a creator, it's pretty well set. We should end around January of 2022. And this includes the main series, specific crossovers, and appearances in other contemporary series, right? But what about when individual kids join other teams? It's not really Power Pack anymore. Yeah, um, my thought is that we should summarize most of those appearances, like Alex and the New Warriors and Julian Loners and Avengers Academy. Makes sense. But pop quiz, hotshot. What if a new series comes around that features more than one Power Kid? What are we going to do then? Huh? Huh? Okay, look, as much as I love Power Pack, I really don't think that a new series will ever just appear again or happen again. So I'm really not worried about it. Um, excuse me. We haven't met yet, but I am Jeremy Whitley, a current writer on The Unstoppable Lost. Can I talk to you guys for a moment about my new Future Foundation book? Uh, I think you might be interested. We're going to have uh, Julie and Alex Power co-leading the team. Woohoo! Job security! <laughs> Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and observing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And welcome to our guest, Jeremy Whitley. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Hi. Thank you for joining us, and uh, thanks for giving us your time on, you know, a school night, yeah. as it were. <laughs> I know we're really going to get into a lot of this, but... You know, for those that are listening that don't really know who you are, I, I want to just give a little bit of a high-level overview. You're really well-known for writing some pretty great comics, specifically Princeless, which is your own self-published book about a young black princess who saves herself and her other sisters, a run on My Little Pony, and most recently, The Unstoppable Wasp, which is an absolute delight, as well as one of the most layered and positive comics around. And then starting in August, like you were just saying, you'll be writing the Future Foundation title featuring half of Power Pack. So needless to say, our interest is peaked. Um, did, is that a pretty good overview of, you know, some of your highlights? I know you've done a lot, but is that pretty good overview? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been working on Princeless for all set about eight years now, along with its uh, spinoff, Raven the Pirate Princess, and then... Uh, we're up to two two different volumes of Unstoppable Wasp now, uh, and uh, and yeah, a little bit of everything here and there for Marvel and My Little Pony, Rainbow Bright, uh, pretty pretty wide variety of stuff. Some of which is uh, is contemporary with Power Pack and its its first form. I'm going to admit right now that Princeless is on my list of books that I want to read, but I have been a fan of Unstoppable Wasp at least in the second iteration, and I've gone out and bought the trade paperback of the first volume because I so much enjoyed what you've done with Nadia. Yeah, that and, is a really, really good read. It's highly enjoyable. Yes. So, I mean, it's it, like I said, it's on my list to pick up Princeless. In fact, I'm fortunately, by the time we release this, it's going to be too late for your Kickstarter campaign that you've got going on on uh, Princeless. But that's on my list of things that I will buy as soon as I can sneak the money into doing that Kickstarter and away from my wife. Um <laughs> From what I've read of your stuff, it, it's fantastic. You've got a very good read on writing young adults or 
I don't want to just pigeonhole you and say children, but I want to say all ages type of material. And I hope that we can kind of just talk about some of your past and and how you've gotten to where you are now with doing and being able to do Future Foundation. Yeah, for example, uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Um, I was born in Southern California. Um, My family moved around quite a bit when I was younger. Um, We lived a, a bit in, you know, San Diego area, a bit in the Bay Area, a little bit in New Mexico, um, and then quite a bit, uh, I guess, pretty much from fourth grade on in uh, in North Carolina, which is uh, where I live now. My parents live sort of in the western mountainy part of the state. Uh, right now, I live in the in the Triangle, specifically in Durham, North Carolina, which uh, people will be familiar with. You know, Duke University is here, and uh, mm-hmm. you yep. know, UNC, where I went, is is just down the road in Chapel Hill. And um... When uh, with your childhood, do you feel like a lot of the media or a lot of the things you you did and saw as a child has that influenced you a lot in how you write? I think absolutely. My my dad is uh, pretty nerdy himself. Um, you know, I, I grew up <laughs> reading comics, and uh, he is also a big uh, fantasy, specifically a, a Tolkien fan. So you know, I, I read The Hobbit and all that stuff at a, a very young age. And, uh, you know, when we lived in Livermore, California, specifically up in the Bay Area, we used to have a sort of a regular comic shop that we went and visited on a regular basis and, you know, got all kinds of cool comics there. I got to meet Stan Lee when I was, uh, I think, in second grade, you know, got I got him to uh, I think I have the only I, I absolutely have the only copy of my X-Men comic that I wrote in first grade that's signed by Stanley. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's going to be, that's definitely a one-off. Yeah, that, that that's one that I'm sure that Sotheby's would not have a way to really rank the price. <laughs> Actually, I should say, Overstreet Price Guys would not really have a way to, to rank the price of that. Yeah, as rarity goes, it's about as rare as it gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. That is pretty cool. Uh it's always cool to be able to meet a hero, especially at that young of an age, and have them impress upon you. And it sounds like that kind of happened. When when did you realize that you were going to be a writer, that you wanted to be a writer or a creator in comic books? Um, I've sort of always loved writing, and I've loved comic books since I was, I was very young. <laughs> I uh, was, was telling somebody that I remember very distinctly uh, getting a lot of pizza-related comic books as a as a kid growing up in the nineties is, uh, you know, if, if you, if you read a lot of books and, uh, you went to pizza hut, you got a lot of, uh, book it stuff. So, and, uh, uh-huh. because the X-Men animated series was so closely tied to so many different like <laughs> franchises, you know, you, anytime you got anything at pizza hut, you'd get like a VHS or a comic of, you know, X-Men stuff. Um, so I've, I've, I don't know. I have very strong fond memories tied to comics and pizza. Um, <laughs> don't we all yes <laughs> but I, I i don't think i think like for a long time i didn't really have a local comic shop in north carolina and it, it wasn't until after i graduated from college in which i went to for english and creative writing that the idea that there was somebody whose job it was to write comics kind of dawned on me um you know that that was i didn't just have to write um you know novels about superheroes that there was you know that you could be a a guy writing comics and not be able to draw a lick, which I can't. Um, and I think, you know, uh, picking up those a handful of books at that time, um, I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is a great way to combine this thing that I love and this thing that I love to do. And uh, I started sort of 
hashing out, you know, uh, sort of self-published stuff with, with uh, a couple of local friends of mine. And, uh, you know, we sort of started that way for Princeless got, you know, signed with a, you know, with Action Lab, which is a, at the time was a very small press, was just starting up. Um, and then, you know, that sort of led from one thing to another to another. As you started to move forward with your career, did you try to find or did you want to find more work with bigger companies or did you want to try to stick with smaller stories like what you were doing with Princeless? Uh, I think it's a little bit of of both, you know, taking work where I can find it and wanting to do some of, you know, the bigger stuff. I think, you know, I, I think having grown up on the stuff I grew up on and, and um, you know, starting in comics the way I did, I always wanted to write, you know, especially for Marvel, but for, you know, superheroes in general and get to play in these sort of shared universes that I had already spent so much time in and spent so much more time in since. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I've always, uh, for obvious pizza-related reasons, been a big fan of X-Men. <laughs> um, you know, so I, that's that's that was always sort of the dream to me. And then, you know, as I, I got a little older, as I got back into comic books, you know, not only did I get back into X-Men, but I started picking up, um, you know, some other characters that I, I really loved. Um, and, you know, thinking more about, uh, I, I think I'm always one of those creators who, like, if somebody were to give me Batman, I I don't think I'd know what to do with him. But like the the rare characters that I feel like have always deserved to have a series and have always deserved more attention, those are the characters that I'm like, that's the guy I want to write. Like I I really want to do you know a whole <laughs> a whole series about second uh, second bad guy. You know the whoever the second banana in Masters of Evil this time around is like. That guy really needs his own series. So if you had Batman, you'd be focusing on like, you know, Commissioner Gordon needs stories or, you know, I bet Alfred Pennyworth has a cousin. Yeah, I feel like with Batman specifically, like I am, I'm more interested in literally everybody around a Batman than Batman. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know, I, I love basically all the Robins and all the Batgirls um, and tons of the the bad guys but uh i i just got nothing for bruce wayne man you see that's kind of always my thing in a lot of storytelling uh you know whatever media tv shows and everything if i was like you know i'm not but if i was show running i'd always be kind of like okay once a season we're doing uh the b or the c team you know the phlebotomist that you see that's in the background all the time that that person's gonna have an episode you know it'd be like all the background players would be like it's your turn shine so sounds like you're kind of the same yeah i mean those those are always my favorite sorts of stories, either the, the stories about, you know, the secondary characters or, uh, you know, the, the downtime stories, the, um, <laughs> you know, the, the one where the X-Men go play softball, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Those are always fun because they're very relatable. Kind of talking about, kind of leading from what you were just talking about, I want to talk a little bit about Wasp because it seems like this really fits the mold of the type of character or the type of supporting cast that you would be really interested in. Instead of, you know, focusing on those top tier Avengers, you're looking more at some of the side ones. You know, you you in bring in Janet Van Dyne, who's, you know, we haven't seen her that much lately. You also bring in Mockingbird. You bring in uh, Tigress. You, you bring in a lot of other secondary characters and you do a lot more focus on Nadia and her friends as instead of just a big 
villain every week. Yeah, and her friends who were literally nothing prior to, and Nadia, who was kind of a like a, a little paint smudge, almost yeah. so to speak, kind of a very very uh, empty shell. Is that kind of the reason you you went with Nadia, or is that kind of the reason you started writing with the Wasp to begin with? Well, I've, if I'm being completely honest, uh, the reason I started writing the Wasp to begin with is uh, it was the book that they were like, "Hey, we think you'd be good for this one." <laughs> you know, if, not a bad reason. Yeah. <laughs> That's a compelling uh, yeah, backstory, Jerry. Like at the point we started doing it, Nadia had had all of uh, maybe two appearances, three appearances in in all of continuity. Um, so I'm I'm not sure that I would have like picked her out of a lineup if you'd given me, you know, oh, here's a hundred Marvel characters, choose one to write a story mm-hmm. about. But she was a character who had, um, you know, really interesting backstory that sort of fit into continuity in this really fascinating way that, you know, they didn't really have to retcon anything to, to put her in because, you know, her, her mom already existed in continuity as part of Hank's origin story. Um, so like they just had to say, Oh, well, after she disappeared at this point, you know, she was already pregnant then. So, you know, she had a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really interesting in that it, she is so centrally part of the Marvel universe. She's so closely tied to so many, uh, Avengers characters, um, and the 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 Pym Van Dyne family tree is so crazy to begin with. Um, <laughs> yeah, that it's sort of interesting, like slotting her in there and seeing um, how that works. Well, I, I, I the last the last issue, I think it was the last issue that you had out because the the new new one I think drops this week. You've got Viv going around the birthday party with Nadia. And introducing her to people and saying, and this is how you're related to them. And just the ridiculousness of that just keeps on growing and growing and growing and growing. She's tied to all these people, but at the same time, she's kind of a little bit of a blank slate at the same time that you're able to really create a lot of the backstory and the characterization, correct? Yeah, it's, I mean, Mark Wade created her and, and she'd only really been in a couple issues of Avengers at the point that... You know, I, I know for a fact that he sort of recommended me. He thought it'd be a good fit for it. I kind of went to Mark and was like, hey, you know, this is a, a character you created. Like, what, what do you really see the envision this character being? And uh, to, to his credit, he was like, uh, go figure it out yourself. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not my book. It's your book. You know, and, and he gave me, I think, one thing he said was, you know, I wrote this issue of uh, Age of Ultron that's about Hank Pym and about what makes Hank Pym different from Reed Richards or, or all these other guys. And, you know, that might be the, the one thing to look at when you're thinking about Nadia is, you know, part of it is that there's this sort of bit in his story where uh, Hank creates square bubbles. Um, so you, you blow bubbles and instead of being uh, spheres, they're cubes. And uh, it's sort of like, well, what is the point of that? There's no point in that. It's just to see if he could do it. Um, right. And that's, I think that's part of what, makes Nadia unique that I, I kind of absorbed from that is that Nadia's interest is in science. Like she, she's all about, you know, making things better, but sometimes it's just about curiosity and just seeing if you can do a thing you know, for the sake of exploring and figuring it out. And that, you know, I, I sort of took that seed and turned that into, you know, part of, part of what makes Nadia special is that she's so excitable and so optimistic and so will, so game to try things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I, I thought, you know, that was a, a pretty special place to start with a character in a, in a world that's, you know, sort of often defined by like 
characters are often defined by tragedy. And for her, it would be very easy to define her by her tragedy and be like, look, she you know, grew up in this red room where she was trained to be an assassin and she never met her family and she tried to go meet her dad and her dad died uh, just within like days of her arriving and uh, everything's terrible. But in Nadia's case, I was like, what if, what if we went the opposite way? Like this girl's had this life up to this point where everything has been sort of dim and horrible. But what if like, she's like, all right, I'm out now. I have a whole world ahead of me. I can do anything like, I have so much time to make up for. And, you know, she's just that she, she takes sort of that excitement into everything she does. And, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of what helped her to, to blossom out into the, the story we have where, you know, she goes, goes out recruiting other female scientists and, um, you know, forms, forms her own lab. And, uh, in, in some cases, you know, takes this, uh, this feeling a bit too far, uh, extends herself too far and, and gets herself in some, uh, some some less generally superhero problems and some more actual you know mental health problems. Were you surprised at how well that worked going down that direction of let's not focus on the negative, let's focus on the positive. Were you surprised at how well that was received? Did you did you expect that you would get a strong but loyal fan base like the one you've had with with the character? You know, it, it's always you never know for sure what you're going to get. It got really Forrest Gump there for a minute. Um, but <laughs> I uh, I feel like, for me, I've always been one of those, like, comics should be fun people. I think, you know, there's there's obviously room in the world for discussion of serious topics and the occasional grim and gritty story. But, like, I mean, I, I, like, I like Batman Year One as much as the next person. Maybe not as much as some people. I... I would like to read more comics that are fun and enjoyable and that I can share with younger readers like my daughters. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's, I think part of what makes the Marvel universe great is that there are room for those books. There are room for those types of characters along with the, you know, Thor's and Galactus's and, you know, uh, Thanos's of the world that you can have, you know, characters who are, are enjoyable who are having fun who have different motivations and you know see the world differently and it's it's important to me that those things exist and i'm glad that like a lot of people see that and enjoy that and i think that's what sets even the current sort of you know cinematic universe of marvel apart from some other superhero and and shared worlds is that you have <laughs> books, you have movies like guardians of the galaxy where like characters can be funny and enjoy themselves and things can be good even when they're not great, you know? <laughs> right. Not, not naming any names at all, but you know, of, of other superhero movies, mm-hmm. not naming any names. Um, kind of talking about that level intense of intensity. You do have a lot of intensity that, that is within the wasp, especially dealing with the characters with bipolar disorder and some of the interpersonal relationships. But there's also this intoxicating joy of love and life when you develop your story and when you try to write that out, how do you create that balance? How do you keep that balance and not have it be just tension? I think it takes a certain amount of cruelty as a writer. <laughs> and that sounds weird, but like, I feel like I like, I'd like to say that like, and this is sort of tangential to that, that like, if you can't think of anything more interesting to do with the character than kill them, 
then either they're not a good character or you're not a good writer. (laughs) (laughs) So like the idea that like, if you can make somebody invest in a character, if you can make that character be funny and make them love that character, then anything you might then do to that character, anything that character might have to go through is so much more powerful and so much more interesting and can, can tug at their heartstrings so much more than if, you know, they're just, you know, the third guy that's good at punching things. Um, <laughs> you know, it's punching things is great and all, but like when, you know, the, the character that you're so tied to that's so that, that you have fallen in love with discovers that like as terrible as their life may have been, the one thing that they always counted on was that they were extremely intelligent and that they're, they could count on their intelligence and on their own brain to tell them what was going on when they discovered that maybe they can't and maybe this thing that they thought was the most important thing about them is not stable. I feel like it's so much more affecting than like, yeah, that guy died punching the bad guy extra hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny that you made that comment about cruelty as a writer. When we were talking with uh, Wheezy, with Louise Simonson, when we were talking to her, she said that the favorite, her favorite character was always the one that she was currently being mean to. Yeah, the, whoever she was torturing was the character she liked the best. And, and she, she loved torturing her characters because that made them do something. It, 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 it gave them that, that push to actually react to the environment or react to whatever's going on with, with the situation that she's dropped them in. So it's really interesting that you've said that as well because I can kind of see some parallel there to how, how she writes characters in her series and, and how you really focus on the characterization as well. I haven't heard that particular interview, but having heard a few interviews with Louise Simonson, uh, I have said a few times that Louise Simonson is who I want to be when I grow up. Um, yeah. Because not, not only is she such a great writer, but like there's so much, it seems like genuine joy for her around like both writing and the fact that like people like and care about what she's done. Mm-hmm. I, I think not to, not to like single other people out, but like when you hear, I, I feel like, the writer that you hear her most in comparison to is Chris Claremont and Chris Claremont seems to be very much of the attitude of like, Oh yes, what I did was very good. Like it's, it's good that you notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Simonson seems like, Oh, you remember that issue where I did this, this and that like, Oh, that's, I really love that issue. I'm so glad that that meant something to you. I'm so glad it was important. And that, that is like, that's who I want to be as a writer. I feel like. I think I think that's who I would love to be as a person mm-hmm, as yeah. well. Just just having that that humble nature and mm-hmm. I yeah, I would love to strive for that. I I don't know if it's necessarily in my wheelhouse, <laughs> but as long as I can recognize that I'm not that humble. Okay, that's a start. You've spoken in prior interviews about focusing on women and people of color and the LGBT community, creating a more diverse cast of characters. This seems to be a big hallmark in all of your books. Would you mind talking about why this is such an important focus for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, first of all, the sort of history and, and shape of the Marvel universe is such that like, even back to, to Stan and Jack, like there's, there's been a definite push to include different types of people and different types of characters. I mean, you know, Stan uh, was very enthusiastic about, uh, the idea of there being a blind superhero. Like that's 
uh, it's a thing that you know he really was excited about, really pushed for with Daredevil, and I think that's very much part of the Marvel brand is, is reaching out and including new and, and different types of people and, and telling different types of stories. I feel like is why Marvel is, is sort of a natural fit for me because that's a thing I've always been interested in is, you know, telling different types of stories. I, I think there's, uh, there's no shortage of uh, not only Superman, but 800 different versions of Superman that um, other people have, have made over time. And uh, there's, there's no, there's no small numbers of, of Batman and Captain's America and things like that, that, you know, telling, <laughs> telling stories about you know, different types of characters and, and reaching out to d- different parts of the world is, is I think the only, the only way to go. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm ever going to make a better Captain America than Steve Rogers. I'm, I'm not going to write a better Superman <laughs> than Clark Kent. Um, <laughs> but you know, there, there are other, there are other types of stories to be told out there that can, you know, I might be the, uh, the first person or that I might be the person that connects with somebody who's never had a character where they, you know, see themselves in that character. And that, I feel like that's really important in the same way that, you know, there's a whole generation of people that Spider-Man is very important to, um, because you know, mm-hmm. that was the first character where they saw themselves reflected in, in a comic book. And I think, you know, right. I, I don't, I don't think Wasp is quite that character. I mean, she may be to, to some people, uh, but like Ms. Marvel is, is definitely that character to a lot of people. You know, it's the first time where they, Kamala Khan was the first time where they saw themselves in comic books. And like, that's sort of, I feel like that's aspirational to me is to, to tell those types of stories. And I think it certainly uh, doesn't hurt that, you know, I, I, both of my daughters are, are young women of color and I would like for them to, be able to, to see themselves in comics and, and grow up feeling the same way about comic books and superheroes that I did. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're finally, you know, I, I think when I started Princess, which is about eight years ago, there weren't, uh, there were very few books where there was like a leading female character and uh, very few books where there was a person of color in the lead and almost no books where there was a female of color in the lead. So like, I feel like, Eight years later, we're starting to get where I would like to see that be. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's still it's still a very tall mountain, and I think I, I've had people ask me why why like I keep creating women and queer women and women of color and, and stuff like that comics. And I, I think it's because if every character I ever created was one of those things, I would still never even get close to the number of generic square-chinned white men that are in comics. Yeah. Speaking as two of those generic square, square chinned white men, um, thank you for creating somebody else besides us. Because you know when we walk into a bar with Steve Rogers and Hank Pym and Clint, uh, Barton. Clint, Clint Barton, they you know it, then it's just five blonde white guys walking into a bar. I, I do think that by creating characters or, or by pushing characters like even even like Nadia and her supporting cast, which was a lot of people of color and a lot of, I should say, a lot of women of color. You're painting with more of a broader brush that is bringing more people into the fold. I, I understand completely what you're saying. My daughter is is also a, a, a woman of color. Uh, she's an eight-year-old. Um, and, and kind of my view of looking at the world has changed drastically as I've realized. I, I've got a daughter who's half Asian. And what 
what does the world see her as? What does she see the world at, world as? And what can I do to make it, you know, make it better, make it a better place where she can see more of herself out there? So I like to encourage those kinds of books. And I thank you very much for putting those kinds of books out there and putting that kind of content out there. Oh, it's my pleasure. Also, uh, I know that a lot of people are really sad that this book is ending. Uh, is there anything that you can tell us about where Nadia and the Agents of Girl are going to be going next? I mean, not a whole lot. I, I'm not sure where where we'll next see the Agents of Girl. Uh, Nadia, of course, already has a, a sort of second home in Champions, um, where will she she will continue to show up, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be seeing a lot more of her. I mean, Janet already has a sort of additional Avengers book. Um, they just announced this week that. Janet will be going into with uh, Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda or something, something of that sort. So, you know, I think we'll see at least the two of them and, and I'm sure Mockingbird, several other places. Um, I would love to see, you know, the Agents of Girl show up other places. Obviously, they're all characters I uh, co-created, so they're, they're very close to my heart. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll, they all get, I think, their own nice little finales and, and send-offs at the end of uh, this volume. So you know they, they've got a they've got a lot of a lot of living left to do in these last two issues. So I'm I'm hoping to uh, see other people pick those up and run with them, and maybe get the chance to uh, do the same myself at some point. Good. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. Let's get into the Future Foundation section. What brought you into this book? Was it your idea, or did Marvel approach you? This was one that um, Marvel a- approached me with the specifics of it. Um, I've been talking to, to Sarah Bronstad, who's my editor on this, about doing something with her. I uh, met her at New York a few years ago, and I, I really like her. She likes what I do on Wasp, but we hadn't had a chance to work together yet. With Fantastic Four relaunching, uh, they knew, I think, early on that Dan was going to be focusing on Reed's Storm family. Sorry, Richard's Storm family. Um, <laughs> and that you know the, the rest of the, uh, the team was going to, to need to find a new home. I was sort of approached with the idea of, you know, what would you do with it? Um, and it was sort of a shifting landscape as we figured out exactly what was going on in Fantastic Four and where everybody was going and uh, who, who all we were going to have uh, available for the book. So, you know, we, we sort of went back and forth with it, trying to figure out exactly, exactly what it would look like and exactly who would be on the team. And, of course, we have, you know, most of the team, uh, minus Val and Franklin, who have, have gone elsewhere, and are still in Fantastic Four, and uh, then of course we're we're adding Julie and um, some some players to be named later. Right, and we won't we won't push for that. We won't push for that at all. <clears throat> yeah, so just give us one, <laughs> <laughs> two at the most. Just give us the team lineup. No, no, we're not going to do that. Between the heavy focus of STEM in the Wasp book and the science school that was Future Foundation, it seems that you have a predilection to write heavy science stories. Where does this come from? I think with Wasp, it was something that I, I wanted to do from early on. Um, it largely spawned out of like getting illustrations back from from Elsa, my artist on the first volume, and, and seeing like that she had done some um, sort of cutaways of the the giant robot in the first issue, and um, there was no uh, that wasn't in the script, but it was is an interesting idea to me, and I, I thought, well, you know. Obviously, Nadia knows more about science and robotics and everything than I do. So, you know, this is clearly the way she's seeing it. What if, what if we did this thing where, you know, this sort of glimpse inside Nadia's mind, where you know you sort of see 
what she knows about science. And, and you sort of get this introduction from her. And it gives us this neat opportunity to do a little teaching in, in the issue as well. And, you know, I, I had always loved science, but I, I don't feel like I, I know a great deal about it. <laughs> I feel like I, I know more about it now than I did then uh, because of, because of uh, not only the research I, I did for that book, but all of the interviews I did for that book with, with female scientists, that uh, several of which I now consider friends. And it, that, was, that was really great and sort of not a thing I had originally gone in thinking that we would do. I never imagined that I would spend late nights up on Wikipedia trying to figure out exactly <laughs> how much uh, power uh, Broadway used in a night. Um, yeah. how much energy Times Square used? Um, yeah, I have I do that on my science corner. It's kind of an interesting search. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know that was just a thing that I was like, all right, I want to I want to insert some more science facts in this issue. And like, what would Nadia be thinking if she were walking through Times Square and just sort of playing that out? In Future Foundation, I feel like I'm going a little bit in the other direction, which is uh, rather than trying to prove how plausible some of my science is, I think I'm going a little wilder <laughs> with the, the science and a little uh, bigger <laughs> with some of the stuff because I, I feel like, you know, these kids are sort of that far ahead and they've, they've been out in space for now years. So they have sort of access to a, a wide multiverse of, of things that we would have never seen. So, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're specialists, I think to some extent, as we'll see in, in the issues, uh, I, I still try to keep the idea of like in WASP, I tried to make each of the, the scientists have sort of a specialty rather than being, uh, you know, Dr. Astronauts, um, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Astronauts, uh, Stephen Corbeau <laughs> yeah. from X-Men. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Dr. Astronaut, that, Peter Corbeau, um, Peter not, Corbeau, everybody Peter Corbeau. Be, not everybody can be Peter Corbeau. Um, that way, everybody can have a different voice as well with their uh, expertise levels. Yeah, I was I was really trying to, you know, that way I, I feel like everybody has something to do, and um, you know, you don't have everybody just uh, suddenly uh, knowing about surgery, um, which is is not <laughs> somebody who was a botanist would know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think you know we're trying to do a little more of that with the Future Foundation as as well as them having just. Uh, a lot of crazy sci-fi gadgets that are around. So you know, it's it's a it's some science and some pseudoscience and some uh, just straight up science fiction. But I, I try to keep the like the same amount of uh, excitement about the science and and passion about doing crazy things in in all of these characters. So let's let's get back to uh, what we really love and really enjoy and really love to talk about, and that's Power Pack. Uh, what's your history with Power Pack? Have you always been a fan? You know, I think it's, it's interesting because I think as a kid, uh, as a kid of the 90s, I was often like, I felt like I was like, oh, no, that's for kids. I don't want to read the stuff that's for kids. I want to read the real <laughs> stuff. Let me let me get on those X-Men. That's the real thing. We got oppression and death and all that stuff. Power Pack is for kids. And as an adult, like I, I bought like a big collection of Power Pack, and I was like, "Oh man, this is this is really fun. This is fantastic. I, I like these kids. They have real weirdly pseudoscientific powers. Um, it's like it's it's like clearly somebody didn't quite understand what it was Jack's power was. It doesn't make a ton of sense for a lot of the issues, but like you know, it's 
it, it works just as much as Reed Richards' power does. It makes just as much sense as that. <laughs> um, you know, I like the family dynamic of things. I, I like, I always like integrating the like actual like social dynamics of real families and real friendships and, and stuff like that into comics. I mean, that's, I, I do that a lot in Wasp as well, not just between the kids, but also like, I like to write Bobby and Janet like they've known each other for 20 years. Like, you know, they're, they're actually friends um, as opposed to like <laughs> acquaintances that sometimes save the world together, you know, and that's, that's something that I've, I wanted that I, I like in power pack is that, you know, they, they pick on each other and they, they make fun of each other and sometimes they're mad at each other, but they're, they're still like a family at the end of the day. And that's, you know, something that I, I attach to about that. And that I love that a lot of those qualities stay with those characters, even when they're, not in the power pack books they are popping up other places that, you know, that you really have, you know, a big brother and a big sister who are still like, uh, particularly Alex is still a big brother, no matter what story he's in, like in the future foundation, he is very much a big brother to, you know, the rest of the group. Well, and I think too, if I remember correctly, he was kind of put in charge of it by Reed Richards. Um, when they took off back into space, Back in the uh, Fantastic Four number one or two, it was. We do like to joke about Power Pack that was always seen as a kids' book, and I think that you have completely, you know, shown that that's what's the case. And then uh, Power Pack and characters like Franklin Richards are difficult in the modern Marvel books because they were introduced to specific aged children. Uh, now that they've aged, some in alternate realities like Alex, but you know, aging characters is always tricky. How do you approach aging? Uh, with such established characters for for me alex alex is kind of easy because i mean you guys will know that the power packs ages are kind of inconsistent anyway um people sort of go back and forth a bit uh julie in particular has been uh like 16 17 20 17 16 um at one point yeah their ages are kind of all over the board right now ways that are both uh unfortunate continuity wise and kind of creepy um <laughs> characters can just go from being adults back to being teenagers is weird see I, I think the biggest thing that we've done sort of in reaction to that is all of the characters in in the current future foundation have sort of redesigned their costumes and they all have costumes that are are much more indicative of, of who they are as teenagers and that i think like the moment that you leave a bunch of teenage super geniuses out in space without you know, Reed Richards and, and Sue Storm sort of looking over their shoulders <laughs> that they're going to be like, even if they're still relatively good kids, they're going to have you know some rebellion and some, some fashion changes and you're going to see everybody do something a bit different. And uh, Alex is the most, I think, consistent between his old look and his, his new look. But I, I think one of my favorite things that we're doing with Alex in this that uh, we aged him up is uh, Alex is... Uh, like every 20 year old uh, trying to grow facial hair. Um, oh God, no. Oh God. No, this is going to be fantastic. It's only going uh, so well as it often does. And so of course, you know, keep in mind, he has a great beard pedigree with his father, James, <laughs> James power has a magnificent beard. Show, he, does. So. <laughs> he does, but 
I, I think genetics wise, I think it, uh, hair is actually from the it's a female side. Yeah, yeah. your, your yeah. mother's father. Um, yes, yeah, X chromosome. And, and also, he is blonde. And speaking as somebody who is blonde, and the the challenges I have trying to grow facial hair. Oh God, I, I just I, I'm crying on the inside already. I just yeah to 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 totally to totally spoil a joke in uh, in our July ten page story. Uh, so, you know, he and Julie haven't seen each other in, in years at this point because he's been out in space and she's been off doing her own thing. And and literally, like, the second thing she says to him after, oh, my God, Alex, it's been years, is, what is this on your face? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such a, like, brother-sister thing to do. Like, it's yeah, yeah. media. You're like, oh, my God, what is this? So I, I, I guess that kind of... A- leads us into saying uh, are you going for more of an all ages or more of a teen plus book with with this especially coming off of uh, wasp i i like to think it's all ages um i i think in some cases probably the uh the stakes and the consequences are going to be a, a bit on a bigger scale you know, it might be we might see a, a few well we'll definitely see a bit more in the way of uh <laughs> fights and not necessarily gun battles, but you know, science battles, things like that. Uh, than than we have in Wasp. I think we've already said. I think our first story is a uh, is a prison break. So you know, the uh, the kids and their their guest professor Yandu Udanta trying to uh, break break Julie into and then somebody out of a prison. So it's it's going to be definitely much like wilder and more action packed than. Uh, than what we've done most of the time in Wasp, you know, we we want to go, want to go very big and very uh, cosmic and wherever we can. So that's going to be a little more of uh, the the thing of it. So it probably be a little more violent in not super grim ways, but I think it'll still be something that's uh, read by a large audience, even if it is you know sort of middle grades up and not maybe not something that you know you read to your five year old. <laughs> No, that that's okay. That's okay. I, 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 as much as I love the wasp, and I love the feeling that your writing and Gory Hura's art really conveyed. You know, kind of the the, the really all ages. It's very accessible. It's great. It's fantastic. It worked well for that story. You know, I, I'm not saying that's the only story you can write. That's all I want to see from you. No, uh, it's it's nice to see. You know, some other. You know. A little more violent, you know, a little more of that kind of, like you said, cosmic battle. I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'll end up doing the the grittiest power pack story. I mean, you know, I do remember very distinctly Katie wandering through the middle of the uh, mutant massacre and meeting Sabretooth. Um, we yeah. just, we just recorded that <laughs> that episode, and the more we went, the more we went through it, the more we're like, this is dark i mean this the x-men and x-factor versions of the mutant Mor- massacre was not this dark <laughs> yeah like there are uh, that story very distinctly has morlocks getting slaughtered in it um and Sabretooth, as bad guys go is pretty bad um, uh-huh. <laughs> sort of defined by like ripping out people's entrails so like 
Well, the, 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 yeah. And then speaking of, uh, like an older power pack stuff, like, you know, the mutant massacre one, uh, have you been mining any of the original power pack storylines or runs or anything for like any ideas or callbacks for the future foundation without any spoilers, of course. Yeah. I mean, um, hmm. <laughs> I, I've been, you could just say yes and move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have some, uh, I think there's also, I've been going through a lot of the, uh, other books as well that uh, they've they've been in since then. Obviously, Future Foundation quite a bit, but uh, you know, Avengers Arena. I just uh, reread Loners for the first time since since it first came out, which I, I don't even know if I, I read the whole thing the first time. But um, <laughs> you know, going back and seeing that sort of very very different personality for uh, Julia is uh, interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, having recently read the the arc of Runaways that she was in which I think is, other than those couple issues of Fantastic Four, the most recent appearance of, of any of the power pack. Yes, it is. Yeah, so it's uh, trying, to, trying to keep all of that in mind and, and make sure uh, that, you know, even if we don't directly reference stuff, that it's still those same characters that they, they carry over from, from one story to another and that it's not something that you uh, pick up and go, oh, this, is not, this is not the Alex I know. I don't, I don't know where they're getting this guy from. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm as you look at how characters are utilized in other books and other, in other, other forms, sometimes it's inconsistent. How do you as a writer try to retcon those characters? I try to, to make sure, and this has come up to some extent with uh, some other characters in the book too, that uh, I don't just, I try not to just pretend like things didn't happen, mm-hmm. but to, you know, make that sort of all part of, the history of the character maybe they remember it going a bit differently as far as the way uh they were acting but you know that uh you know i i, I like to think everything that happened in loners and avengers academy and power pack and all these other books still happened these are still the same characters uh, but you know maybe maybe they were going through something at the time or you know they they remember they remember things a bit differently than uh maybe the people telling the stories did so you just kind of try to work with them a little bit yeah, I try to make sure that you know everybody. Uh, <laughs> that everybody's nobody's favorite story is just sort of thrown off to the side and discarded, which is a little a little easier for the power pack than some uh, some characters. Luckily, there's not like an not a real like ultimate power pack out there to to consider. <laughs> um, there's no there's no power pack max to work in. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> We're gonna ask some of our questions that we've gathered from some of our fans or some of the people out on Twitterverse. But before we do that, another piece of our show is, of course, we use my daughter to do the sound effects and we do use her to do Katie's voice. Um, also, she reads the books and as she reads the books, she um, then has a little interview with me where we talk and she tells me her thoughts about the Power Pack book that we just read. She also has read some of your Unstoppable Wasp as well. And I have her here now, and she wants to ask you a few questions, if that's okay. Sounds good to me. My name is Carrie. Hi, Carrie. And I'm eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, daughter, my daughter's name is Zuri, and she's eight years old as well. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite colors? My favorite colors? Um... I like orange and blue. What is your favorite type of animal? Hmm, that's a good question. 
Uh, you know, it, it was the tough question. It was the easy questions from us. We leave the hard questions for my daughter. Yeah, uh, my favorite type of animal. They really stumped me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, she's our hard-hitting journalist. Let's see. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've been watching a lot of TV with my two-year-old recently. Uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Peppa Pigs <laughs> and uh, therefore also dinosaurs. My wife is my dinosaurs at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who's your favorite character in The Unstoppable Wasp? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I like everybody in, in that book. Um, I like Nadia a lot. I think Taina might be my favorite uh, because I like how mean she is. <laughs> <laughs> the mean girl? Yeah, I like that she, uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't take any guff from anybody. She's always got, a, got something funny to say and she can, you know, she can be mean with everybody else. Who's your favorite villain? Of all the villains? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, from the book. From the Wasp. Oh, from the Wasp. Let's see. I really like... Oh, man. I, I created several of the villains that are in this story right now, so I feel like it might be cheating to, get, to say any of them. But I really like Finesse. She's a lot of fun. I like that uh, anything that she sees you do, she can, uh, she can do it just as well as you can. You like that power? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you like about the wasp? I like that she has fun and she likes people and that she uh, gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. She she thinks everybody is good, even if they don't always do good things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carrie. Those were very good questions you came up with. And I will say she came up with all the questions on her own. They're very good questions. Let's get some to some listener questions. Um, and we'll kind of go through here and see which ones we can actually ask you and which ones aren't just straight out spoilers. <laughs> Let's talk Julie Power. Was it your choice to bring Julie into Future Foundation? And kind of on top of that, did you have a choice about the lineup or was that chosen by editorial? I, I did choose Julie. She was she's a character that I've I've loved for a long time, I think. My primary love for her, I think, came from reading Avengers Academy and then going back and picking up Power Pack and Loners and all of that. She's she's a lot of fun. And uh, having seen uh, her, I don't want to say fall from grace and in, in uh, Runaways, but just the, the rough time she had in the arc of Runaways she was in, I, I really wanted to see her have a, a little bit of a comeback. So uh, she was somebody that I, I asked about immediately that I, I thought would be a good... Uh, good match for the book, especially since we were losing a few characters. And that was something I didn't have a lot of say in is that, uh, you know, Val and Franklin were going to be in fantastic Four. So there was, that was pretty much settled by the, by the time I got there, but you know, I have been given the option of, of adding new characters and switching characters out there. There will be a few more that we see, um, added as the story goes on. So we're, we're going to be doing some, uh, some stuff that I think ties back to fantastic four history pretty interestingly. So, Excuse me. We'll see a couple of, of other characters pop in there. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to make sure that uh, everybody that we last saw in, in Future Foundation is at least there to start. Um, I didn't want to have mm-hmm. any mysterious disappearances between their last appearance and, and this one. So, you know, everybody might not be with the team for the whole run. Um, I know, you know, there are some, for instance, there are some other things going on on, uh, on Earth with the mutant population. And so, you know, that it's right. it's a possibility I'm, I'm well aware of that you know Artie and leech may end up needing to be otherwise at some point but uh you know all the i'm, I'm gonna do my best to, to make sure that all of the uh crew is is well represented and, and gets their time to shine 
Power Pack has some fun alien names, and it, it's easy to write them down, but how's your pronunciation? So, such as uh, the, the alien race that, that gave Power Pack their powers, and uh, Power Pack's cousin. And I'm purposely not stating the names to see how you say them, because apparently this is the questions that some of our fans want to know. Uh, I, I think you would be uh, referring to the Chimelians. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, of course, there uh, other other important power pack aliens like uh the xenarchs or of course they're commonly known as snarks yep we had a lot of fun asking louise simonson to give us her official pronunciation of them and she did and then she later on said it's however you pronounce in your head is the right way (laughs) yeah i think we have a fair amount of apostrophes appearing in this in the series Yeah. So your name is Consonants. Can I buy a vowel, Jeremy? Please, yeah. can I buy a vowel? There's no need. We don't travel. We don't truck in vowels around here. <laughs> we have another fan, Gibson. Uh, is there a favorite Power Pack issue you came across during your research? That's that's a tough one because I think like I really like the the Mutant Massacre stuff. Um, it's it's really fascinating to me and in just what a like what a weird relic of of like that time in comics it is that like the power pack would even be in that sewer um it's, it's wild i also really i'm really attached to the uh the gurihiru drawn power pack books which are are sort of non-canonical but are very very good yeah we're reviewing those for our patreon content and we absolutely love them they are we call them a uh, saturday morning breakfast cereal cartoons they are just they're just fun and they make you feel like you're wrapped up in your footy pajamas yeah I, they're they're really great and i mean some of that might be uh i'm, I'm a little biased on you know guri hero uh, having worked with them both on like the first marvel story i ever did and on this uh volume of of um unstoppable wasp i just i just think they're amazing and they're such like solid working comic book artists too mm-hmm. like is the number of times that i've turned in a script with things that i think like i don't know how they're going to draw that draw that and that it's like come back to me amazing and and well put together and knowing full well that like everything that i'm writing to them is coming through a translator uh, and that it's still just so good is uh really amazing that's that's interesting we we've we did talk to Mark Sumerak a little bit about it too, and and he, I think he did mention that too, that you have a translator that you're going through with their art. Aki Yan, who is their translator, is just uh, super super good at his job, and uh, always has just like he'll he'll when he's translating the script, will often come back to me with like very specific, intelligent questions about you know what what did you mean by this? This is you know uh, sort of a uh, not a not a saying we have in Japan. Like, what does that what does that mean? <laughs> a couple more questions here for you. Um, and these 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 might go together. Gibson has another one, and it's will Dragon Man be referred to as or he himself remind Julie that he was once named Baby? <laughs> and uh, radioactive dog welder also said any chance of Franklin being called Tattletail again, even as an insult. So, uh, without getting too much into spoilery. <laughs> I'm going to throw, throw, the, throw those out there and let you do with them what you will. Well, Franklin, at least for the, the time being, is uh, not, not going to be around. He's otherwise occupied on Earth. But who, who knows what might get said behind his back. Um, <laughs> as, as for Dragon. And, and I, I, I guess that, uh, that really is going to come into play if 
there's ever a possibility that Katie gets thrown into future future foundation, then we probably will hear, hear Tattletale. Probably. I, I don't see it necessarily come out of Alex or Julie's mouth, but go ahead with Dragon Man. Dragon Man's name is already so much fun because uh, literally the first caption I ever wrote introducing Dragon Man says, Dragon Man, neither dragon nor man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a... Uh, that is already uh, a lot of fun. I don't know if uh, we might drop a, a reference to him being a baby in there somewhere in the future. It's not in these first couple issues. Uh, he's got his hands pretty full in this, uh, in this part of the story already. Secret Wars and Beyond podcast wants to know what you feel are at the core of Alex and Julie's characters. I think, I think Alex is a lot about, uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, he's sort of a, a big brother at heart. He's... <laughs> I, I have this tendency to relate uh, the power pack back to the Ninja Turtles in that uh, Alex is very much the Leonardo or the Cyclops or the, uh, yeah. you know, he's the guy who does leading. Leading is his thing in any group. I, I feel like, you know, he's, even if, even when he's not the best person for the job, uh, he's very <laughs> sure that he knows what the right thing to do is, as, as evidenced by some of his unfortunate choices in his uh, new warriors time. <laughs> <sighs> yeah you know he's he is a guy who's uh very convinced of his own rightness uh but also very is very aware of the fact that he's screwed some things up it really has this uh attachment to reed richards and really wants to do really wants to be the kid that reed richards thinks he is that alex doesn't always necessarily think he is that he is he wants to prove that he's worthy of reed leaving him in charge of this of the future foundation which is you know one of reed's most important things he's ever done you know not to mention that he's left him in charge of a bunch of uh genius teenagers in space uh, so i think that's the big thing that's at the heart of alex ross is uh this sort of incredible weight um that he feels in in having all this on him but his desire to to prove that he's up to it and to, to lead the team the way he, he thinks he should. Um, as for Julie, I think Julie is, um, <laughs> despite the fact that, that Alex is, is sort of um, the one that's in the club full of teenage geniuses, uh, Julie is often, I think, defined by her intelligence. And uh, I like to think, you know, maybe Alex is more the, the science major and Julie is the English major of the group. Um, you know, she is very interested in, in teaching and nurturing and, and taking care of people in addition to also uh, knowing, I think throughout Avengers Academy, especially we see her sort of uh, going through the process of, of getting to know herself better and learn her own worth. I think, you know, we, we see a Julie both in that book and coming out of that book who is confident and is intelligent, but also often has that, that sort of, undercut by her own uh, desire to like want to take care of people and please people and, and sometimes turns out for the, for the less good that's that's interesting that you say that because that very much is kind of the role she's put in runaways mm-hmm. where she's looking at this team of superpowered and amazingly functional people who you know as a group everything they do should lead to them just imploding but they one reason or another they always come out of it but she looks at them and just says, why don't you people work as a team? Why don't you practice? And 
They've kind of gotten so used to just like, well, because it works out for us. But at the same time, she is the one who looks at things and says, looks to try to help people put their things together. And she she wants a little bit more of the order out of the chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Last kind of serious question, then we got three real rapid fire fun questions for you. But what is or who is your favorite power kid? Yeah, I, I could pretend this is a toss-up all day, but it's Julie. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, it's it's absolutely Julie. Um, there's there's a reason I chose Julie to be on the team, and it's, it's that I like her, and I feel like I most relate to her as a character. Um, Alex is growing on me a little bit as I do the book. I think the more I write Alex, the more I find sort of uh, some, some of myself there. And in the same way that as I get older, I realize that uh, I am the... Leonardo or the Cyclops of any given team. <laughs> sort of disappointing in that respect. Uh, but you, know, <laughs> you comes... grow up trying you you grow up trying to be Jack, and then one day you realize I'm Alex. Yeah, there comes a point in every every dad's life when he has to realize that he's Cyclops and not Wolverine. Um, <laughs> and I I relate to I relate to Alex in that respect. But uh, yeah, Julie is. She's, she's my favorite, and uh, I think it even now has, I, I think it was even more cemented by the fact that uh, now she is uh, not, she's the canonically bisexual uh, character that also makes a, a streak of rainbows behind her every time she uses her powers. So it's, I feel like it's yeah. a little on the nose, but it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, just a, she's just a flying pride flag. Yes, she is. And then, uh, which of the power kids do you think has the best superpower? I think this is a hard one to answer for me. Uh, I think like Katie's is great, but it's also sort of the most generic, like energy projection powers are a thing that happen a lot. Especially like in the '90s, every character that's introduced has random, as random like energy projection powers. I think I feel like Jax has the most possibilities to it because Jax is the most kind of pseudoscientific and ill-defined. Um, that like they're just like yeah he can just float through walls it's just you know because you know you can yeah like a cloud you can just change into whatever shape he needs to he's he's just a cloud you know cool it's, it happens but i think as, as i've been writing this i think alex's are the most fun to like use in in a comic book you know as a writer i think the idea of you know the kid who can just do random things to control gravity you know at one point i i was like I want Alex to be running in this scene, but I don't want his feet to touch the ground. Like, you know, Alex is just sort of gravity skating across the uh, the landscape as he goes. Like, that's fun that, you know, you can do all sorts of cool things with gravity and um, all that is, is is a fun comic book power to use. And I, I like I like Julie's a lot, but it's it's high speed is, you know, even with flying, super speed is, is kind of. A thing that's used a lot, so I feel like it can be used to good effect, and then it can also just sometimes be that, well, she's fast. <laughs> okay, now I, I feel like I just have to apologize for these three questions. <laughs> yeah, in advance. In advance. <laughs> the, these next three, they, they've, they've provided us with some silly ones, but we're going to go with it. AJ wants to know what member of the Future Foundation knows how to cook, and which member is the best at it? I feel like the answer to both of these questions is Artie and Leech working together. Like, really? I feel like I feel like Artie has the know-how and the projection ability, and Leech would actually be the one that, that's able to put the whole thing together, you know? Between the two of them, they just they just make... There's no end to the, the fantastic stuff they can make. 
<laughs> I think almost everybody else's would involve some sort of explosion. Like Bentley's would certainly, oh, whatever yeah. Bentley made you, you should definitely not eat. It is probably no, a prank of no. some sort. <laughs> I think um, Dragon Man would probably be really interested in cooking in the theory of it, but uh, being synthetic, I'm not sure his taste bud, I, I'm not sure he has taste buds, so, you know. Yeah, Dragon Man would be one of those uh, guys that's super into, like, the gastronomical chemistry part of cooking. Like, you know, he'd be like, oh, this is a, a sandwich that floats, or, you know, this is this is cream that will make you uh, not hungry anymore. <laughs> you know, just be, uh, be a little weird science experiment for him. I could also see him being like Bender in Futurama where he's like, what? It's not a lethal dose of uh, salt. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now we have Limax7 wondering, if you were a sandwich, what kind of sandwich would you be and why? I mean, I feel like we covered this already. Uh, I mean, everybody likes to think <laughs> that they're, uh, they like to think that they're a Cuban or uh, uh, something really, really fun and unusual. But at some point, you come to the realization that you're peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and peanut butter and jelly is good. Like peanut butter, people like right. peanut butter and jelly. Right. But nobody's like, man, did you hear about that peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the news the other day? I, I, I thought I, I thought it was just that that perfect perfect club sandwich. But at the end of the day, I realized I'm just cucumber on white on wheat. You know, that's it. <laughs> cucumber on wheat. What happened? Most of us are either peanut butter and jelly or grilled cheese. On although there's a number of people in this world that would be happy to be a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> All right, our last our last series of questions. It's from Tim Price, who is kind of our number one fan. Yep. he's a great guy, and uh, he's got a couple of different questions here. Which character from My Little Pony? would you think is Katie Powers, Katie Powers' favorite? Ooh, that's tough. You know what? It'd be Twilight Sparkle. Because, okay. Because, I mean, she is the protagonist of the story, and you know, she's, she's often the, the one I get most from, from kids Katie's age that is their favorite. But also, uh, she is very similar in character to Julie Power. And uh, I think that ultimately, like, that would be the thing that, you know, Katie would like the Katie would like the character who's a lot who reminds her of her sister. And then uh, same question for Nadia Van Dyne. Who is her favorite My Little Pony? Oh, Nadia's is absolutely Pinkie Pie. <laughs> no question. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely uh, Pink Amina Pie, um, who is who's always uh, ready for a party and is always looking at the bright side of life. They would be great friends. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. What's your favorite flavor of cheese? And then uh, same question for Nadia and Pinkie Pie. Pinkie Pie. What would be their favorite flavor of cheese? My, uh, let's see, my favorite flavor of cheese fluctuates, but I think uh, more often than not, it's it's just a uh, really good, like goat cheese is uh, is really great. Nadia's, I feel like Nadia would, would really like string cheese. Um, like, uh, <laughs> good, solid string She's a cheese that she could take with her on the go. You know, she could just grab a cheese and take it uh, wherever she was going to do next. That tracks. Yeah. 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 And I think her saying being able to tear it apart would be like, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She'd be excited about cheese that she can peel. She would have never had string cheese in the red room. And she would think that was truly amazing. <laughs> and then for Pinkie Pie. <laughs> uh, 
pinky pie syrup cheese is uh, cream cheese because it's the cheese that you can make into a dessert. There you go. Yeah, there we go. And Tim Price just wanted to end up by saying, and last, just pass on that I enjoyed Unstoppable Wasp a lot and extremely impressed with how well he writes the girls. Their voices were very authentic, and my daughters, who are 14-year-old twins, agree. And he is looking forward to the Fufoun, F-U-F-O-U-N, which that's just hard to say now that I actually try to say it out loud. Follow-up questions, just uh, you're a rare creator who has long-running series and you have had many smaller-run titles. In the past, there were more opportunities in larger companies for writers to develop characters and stories over a long period of time. Which model do you prefer? Do you prefer the smaller runs or do you prefer the long runs? And you've had the ability to do both. I don't know. It's tough. I really like... It would be really nice to have the ability to to do something like what Claremont did in X-Men or even what, what, you know, Walt Simonson did in Thor or, I mean, even to, to a slightly different extent, uh, what Jason Aaron has done in Thor, uh, which I think is, is maybe the, the way that you can do that now is to, you know, tell a big story across several different titles and several smaller series, which is, is sort of what we have done with Princeless and, you know, breaking up into mini series and, and telling it that way. I think there's a place for both. And I think doing one makes you better at doing the other because I feel like I learned a lot about writing comics by like getting those first couple jobs I had for Marvel where my stories were eight pages and I really wanted to impress people and trying to figure out like, how do I tell a story that's really going to knock their socks up in eight pages of space? And then, like, once you've done that, it's so much, uh, it, it, you bring so much more to, you know, telling it in 32 pages or 32 issues. Cool. Thank you very much. And then our last question we like to ask is, what do you read now? What are, What's on your nightstand? Oh, I've got a, a ton of stuff on my nightstand. I've actually been going back and doing a, a lot of rereading, both for uh, Future Foundation and for, uh, I, I, I just did, like, been doing a massive reread of a lot of Young Avengers stuff because I, I love the Young Avengers mm-hmm. and I, I uh, had missed some of the more recent stuff. So I, I started all the way back at the beginning of, of Young Avengers and I'm now reading like the uh, Al Ewing's New Avengers run that has you know Billy and Teddy in it and some of the uh, single titles that have come out since then. So I'm reading a little bit of everything. Um, I really love you know uh, Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl. And a lot of the titles that I, I think share a lot of DNA with Unstoppable Wasp. Cool. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Yeah. So, uh, again, thank you so much for spending, spending time with us. We do really appreciate it. And uh, as a way of showing our appreciation, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, well, uh, obviously, uh, Future Foundation, which, you know, uh, the, um, the story in, in Fantastic Four is out in July, and then the series itself starts up in August. By that time, all of Unstoppable Wasps should be collected, and uh, I would love for people to go uh, pick that up and enjoy that. And then by that time, we should be on to Volume 9 of Princeless, which if people like the you know the way I've written teenage characters, especially teenage girls and, and Marvel stuff, uh, they should absolutely check that out, because that's sort of me without any of the, uh, any of the restraints that I have to... Uh, to have when I'm 
trying to tell a story in just enough issues with goodness knows how much space. Is there a simple place that people can go and find that online? Do you have your own website or some other place that you'd like to just plug for people to find? Yeah, it's uh, jeremywhitley.com. So it's my name.com. And then uh, probably the best place to get up with me if you have particular questions about anything is uh, on Twitter. I'm jrome58. So it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Shout out time. We like to recognize those listeners who take the time to write in or leave us a review. And this is for episode 32 on issue number 25, Power Trip. Alexander. The Art Classroom. Bilal Larby. Bob Rowland. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Craig McNichol. Colin Stapleton. Dan Grote. Delvin the Dark Web Williams. Epic Marvel Podcast. Gary Key. Gibson. Green Lantern HG. Jason, the yard sale artist, Albrecht. Jeff Pullier. Jeremy Daw. He mentioned that his subscription started with issue 29, and he always wondered why they had different powers from their costumes. Jeremy Wiggins. Joey Burdick. Keith Baker. Keith Bowden. Kwanzaa Osajifo, who got to geek out about my favorite childhood comic book series. Legion Bloggers. Let's Talk New Warriors. Limax 7. Longbox Crusade. Mal, who was laughing so hard he had a coughing fit with Waterworks, and he was only halfway through the show. Matthew Birdsey. Max Traver. Miyagi Kai Martial Arts. Mr. Rogers Corp. He loves that we read the ad copy on the inside cover, mainly because his daughter makes him read those ads to her when they read Power Pack. Nicholas Prom and the Comic Reflections. Pat Christos Samson. Because there ain't no Christatos like Christatos. When you can't stop the Christatos, you can't stop the Christatos nose top. <laughs> and moving on. Professor Frenzy. Radioactive dog welder. Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Who suggested that since the kids switched powers, Rick and I should too. Rick should start remodeling his kitchen, and Jeff should hunt for exotic and symbolic appropriate beers. No. No, 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 no. Sounds funner than what I've been doing. No. You've been taking trips and I've been working in a sweaty room painting. Spider Ed, far from home, who thinks Rick's daughter is one astute cookie. It took them years to raise the symbol change. Tim Price. Todd Enoch. Warlock Thanos Podcast. Warlord Worlds. Xenozoic Xenophiles. Zawaza. And we want to do one last thank you to our wonderful guest, Jeremy Whitley, thank you, thank you so much for spending your evening with us, talking to us about a lot of really good comic books. Guys, if you haven't checked it out yet, please, please, please go out and check out The Unstoppable Wasp, check out Princeless, check out all of his works. They're good. And don't forget, coming up at the end of July, Fantastic Four number 12 is going to have a short story featuring Future Foundation, and Future Foundation will start in August. Pick up your books, order them from your local comic shop if you can. Yep. Jeremy is the kind of writer that I would love to be. I absolutely adore his stuff. Everything that I've read of his, I have just fallen in love with. We are Jeff and Rick present, and we record and self-produce our podcast in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to talk with us, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick present our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick present our email address, Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com or at our website, Jeff and Rick present dot WordPress dot com. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. This will help other people find us. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our lives. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We We love love you. you.
Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s Action by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. So you have an eight-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter, correct? Yep, I do. Yeah, uh, Rick has an eight-year-old and I have a two-year-old, so <laughs> you, we've, we've, we've split your difference. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> should have the way we did it, uh, have one and then get a friend to have the other one. Because, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about other people's kids is you can get rid of them <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting sometime in this next week. Sometime in the next week, we'll see the cover for issue two pop up, which has, uh, has our, our villain for this first storyline in it. And a, a very stretchy man in a funny mask. Oh, oh really? Okay. Cut your mouth! Get your mouth! Get those things off their costumes!